it sometimes feels like it would be healthier to at least have some separation. <laughs> and I, I am a bit envious of people who who can take business a little less seriously. It, it, it feels like some people are having a little bit more fun because it's not so serious, but I can't help where I came from. And it's still, it's in the DNA. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by MindSize. You can find more about MindSize at MindSize.com. What I really love about MindSize is that they're focusing on the WooCommerce support. So maybe you're an agency and you just want to build out these sites and move on and you don't really need to support your customers or your clients and you want to find a partner to do that. Maybe you don't have the resources to support and maintain WooCommerce in-house. That's what MindSize is for. Hire MindSize on a monthly contract to take care of your customers. WooCommerce support, start a partnership with them, reach out. They know what they're doing when it comes to performance and mind size. Maybe you can handle the design and the implementation and the strategy, maybe even the marketing. Let mindsize.com, that's mindsize.com, support and maintain your WooCommerce sites every single month or even start with one of their audits. Thank you, Mindsize, for supporting the Matt Report. Go to mindsize.com today. A tricky part of all of the stuff we do in business and online is to not let the work consume you. I know people say your work is not your worth, and I get it, but it's really hard for me to disconnect from that, to show the world what you've built and put it into the hands of your superfans, to punch up as the underdog and prove to the Goliath that you can win in this arena too. It's addictive, it's fulfilling, it's enriching for us and hopefully those around us. Jordan Gall returns to the Matt Report to share in his next chapter, Rally. Jordan brings the passion. He's a business builder I'm on the sidelines rooting for. We'll explore his challenges with building on a platform like Shopify and how he plans to disrupt that with his latest play in decentralized and headless e-commerce. And hey, if you want to support the Matt Report, head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash Report. That's buymeacoffee.com slash Report. Buy me a digital coffee or join the membership for $79 a year. You get access to the private Discord. We can chat about stuff, e-commerce entrepreneurship, WordPress startups, no code, SaaS, whatever it is. If you're interested in the WordPress news, it's also a great place too. Okay, buymeacoffee.com slash Matt Report. Here we go with Jordan Gall of Rally. There's something in you that every time I listen to you, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I feel the same way. It's this passion to prove and to win. And there was something that you said on your own podcast, I clipped it. It's on Twitter somewhere. I think I tagged you in it when you like, I was listening, I was driving in the car and you're like, I, I'm paraphrasing, but you're like, I, I have something to prove with this and I want to mm -hmm. get it out there and I want the world to see it. Yeah. And I know it has a little bit to do about Shopify, but I'm looking <laughs> to see if you, like, how do you wake up every day to get amped up to get into the e-commerce world? So I, I, at this point, I cannot disconnect the like business ambitions with the personal meaning. I, I started off in software with those two pretty disconnected. And I looked at software. I, I had done a bunch of different things in the previous life. I went from investment banker to family business and the real estate thing. And then I sold products online as an e-commerce merchant myself. And I got into software really because I was really attracted to the business model. Because in my e-commerce business, we had this experience where we did pretty well. In the first year of business, we did somewhere around 500K in revenue, which was like, that was pretty cool to kind of grow quickly. 
But toward the end of the year, when we were looking back, we didn't feel like, feel like we had much to show for it because if we didn't throw another 20K into advertising, we wouldn't make anywhere near the same revenue. And it felt like, it felt like weak, like it didn't have a strong base. People have since gotten better at building brands and building subscription into their brand and so on. But we didn't do that back then. We didn't have a subscription and it felt like a, it was, it felt like a lot of work. But then if we didn't keep pushing even harder, even bigger, spending more, like we didn't have much to show for it. So software had this very attractive thing in recurring revenue that builds on itself. And that's that's kind of why I went into software. But in in the seven years since, that has changed. And now there's a lot more in it and a lot more to prove and think about and make an impact in the market. And so now they're like all linked in. So like my yeah. personal identity and ambitions and money and business and team, it's all just like one big soup now. I want to talk about it strategically, but I want to talk about it emotionally first, because I'm the same growing up in the car dealership in my local area. My family owned a car dealership for decades, and we were not this big, high-powered 25 franchises everywhere you go. There's one of our dealerships. We were family-owned and operated one location, and I, much probably like you, kind of growing up, like having something to prove, like we're not these giants, we're, we'll treat you right, but pay attention to us too. Like we're doing something great. We think we have something great here, this experience. And that lesson when I, from early, learning that early on has carried over to every business, every podcast. And even for the companies I work for, like Castos, like Pagely before it, like I joined these companies, not for a job, right? But to because I, I believe in whatever this whatever path these companies and, and my employers are going down. And it's something that I can't detach. Have you tried detaching? Sometimes I feel like, man, you got to detach and, and I can't. What are your thoughts? It sometimes feels like it would be healthier to at least have some separation. <laughs> and I, I am a bit envious of people who who can take business a little less seriously. It, it it feels like some people are having a little bit more fun because it's not so serious, but I can't help where I came from. And it's still, it's in the DNA, right? Mm -hmm. my, my parents brought us over here from Israel. So I'm a first generation immigrant who came to this country without speaking English. And that outsider point of view looking in, like, how do I get in is just not going away. And at this point, really the right thing to do is be grateful for it and, and roll with it Yeah, because that's that's who you are. From a strategic standpoint now, you have this blog post, which will be linked up in the show notes, raising $6 million. You can, If you're just listening and you're not going to check the show notes, go to rallyon.com. That's where you can find Jordan's new yep. startup. I'm looking at the homepage and I see logos. I see WooCommerce. I see BigCommerce. I see Salesforce. And we're going to get to what all of this means in a minute. But that same feeling of building a platform, relying on a platform, do you feel like this chapter of your life you've stepped back from the reliance on platforms because this solution is just going to connect with everything and you won't, you'll be damned if you put yourself back into that platform position again. Yes. And, and it's probably worth taking a step back and, and kind of explaining a bit about that history because it's so uh, central to what we're doing with rally, how we're thinking about it, how I feel about it, all these different pieces. So, or if we, if we take the step back, Give a little context. My previous company is a company called Carthook. And what we did is offered merchants an alternative checkout system. So they had an online store that was set up with Shopify. And then we offered them a checkout suite 
that allowed them to replace the Shopify checkout with our checkout. And it gave them all these features and like functionality that they wanted. That ended up getting really popular. And we processed north of two and a half billion dollars through it and grew substantially in our own revenue. But because we were built on top of one platform and what we were doing had a conflict with their business model, they decided at some point that they no longer wanted us to offer that product. Now it's their right, it's their platform, but it's no fun to build your product on top of a platform and then have that platform turn around and say, actually, we, we change our mind. We don't want you to keep doing that anymore. And then your, your business kind of goes away. So I didn't intend to get into that position. In hindsight, I'm almost surprised that we did, but it was really such a whirlwind. We launched this thing. It was incredibly popular immediately. So then the only thing we were thinking about was how do we get this thing to work properly so we can manage all this demand, which was a great problem to have. And, and was a direct indicator that we were onto something. We basically hit product market fit as soon as we launched. And then we grew so quickly, we never even had time to expand to other platforms and start to diversify our risk. And we didn't raise venture money. We were bootstrapped. And so the, the focus was on what can we do with our revenues? It wasn't what can we spend beyond our revenues because we didn't have much money in the bank. So we wanted to get the profitability. So it never made sense to start to diversify and build for other platforms and so on. So we just kind of found ourselves in this very tricky spot. And then it, and then it ended not, not very well. And so you can imagine after having that experience, I have no interest in building on top of one platform and relying on it. And a lot of that a lot of the ideology that came out of that experience is part of the DNA of Rally and what we're trying to do there. In the news recently, especially by the time this goes out, Pagely or GoDaddy purchased Pagely, my old company that I, I used to work for. And if you can just illustrate, maybe even just dipping into like what you might plan on doing with your your first round of six million that you raised, I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, well. Well, they're done. <laughs> like they, they, that's all they need. Like case closed. They raise their money and and and, fo- and they they move on. Of course, they're going to be successful. Of course, they have enough money to what they can do. I know uh, from being with Pagely, now being with Castos, who's raised a little bit of money, seeing that um, the bootstrappers mentality. You don't have that many options. They hear things like, "Oh, they've processed two billion dollars worth of payments. They they're fine. Everything's fine." <laughs> but you you don't have that overhead to take a bet, to tr- experiment, because you have to be so uh, tight to the to the revenue, as you mentioned, you can't really experiment. How do you look at some of the runway you have now? I know you can't be experimenting all over the place because you got people to hire, the marketing message, the product to build, but do you, f- do you feel any different this time around versus Carthook? We, we feel completely different and, and it's not all good and it's not all bad. So the reason entrepreneurs like ourselves build on top of platforms is because it makes distribution and go to market much easier. It gathers all your customers together and says, okay, here's a, a much more defined pool of potential customers, whether you're building for WooCommerce or for Facebook or for Shopify or anything else. <clears throat> The, the downside of that is the reliance and the platform risk. 
So with with Rally, we we gain one and we lose the other, right? We we don't have the distribution built in of of a platform. The the truth is. At Cardhook, we weren't ever allowed in the Shopify app store. So we didn't even get the distribution anyway. But what we did was so popular that people just found us through word of mouth anyway. But normally speaking, you would get distribution to the platform. So we don't have that in quite the same way. We are playing uh, with platforms that have a more open approach. So we do integrate with BigCommerce and WooCommerce and we'll integrate with a bunch of others. So we do get some distribution that way. But the the upside is that the reliance isn't there. And if if one relationship sours, we're not dead. Right. The, the, the truth is that we're trying to flip that whole model upside down entirely, but we, we can kind of get to that, you know, a little later. <laughs> well, let, let's dive into it now. Can help sure. me define <laughs> what mm-hmm. community owned commerce means? Okay. And, and so and for, the, for the listener, this is not a softball question because I don't know the answer. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and I want Jordan to tell me. Yes. And, and it, is, it is a challenge to explain it properly because a lot of these terms, a lot of the vocabulary, a lot of the concepts are new. And the truth is many of them are polarizing. So, so Web3 and decentralization and crypto, and I just like said those keywords to basically trigger half the audience right, right. negatively <laughs> and trigger half the audience positively. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yep. that's, that's kind of where things are right now. Um, so one of, the, one of the core concepts around Web3 is that we can, we can create healthier ecosystems, healthier networks, healthier platforms if we involve the users of the platform as owners. So our vision in e-commerce is to wrest power away from the platforms and give it back to where we think it belongs, which is with the merchants, the shoppers, and the app developers. So if you think about our experience at Cardhook, the only reason it happened is because the entity in the middle, the platform, had the power to say, you know what, we've decided we actually don't want you to offer it anymore. And what that did is it their interests superseded the interests of the merchant and in our case, the app developer. So even though you have a business on the web that wants what you offer, someone can come along and say, no, we prefer that you don't have that option because it's not good for our business. And again, again, this is, I'm not even saying that they're like these horrible people. I can't believe they did it. This is just the way things have worked. And one of the interesting, exciting things about Web3 is a challenge to that model. A challenge to the model that says there's a platform in the middle that gets to decide everyone's fate, whether it's Facebook and their algorithm, whether it's Twitter, whether it's it's happening in a lot of different areas, whether it's finance and so on. So our neck of the woods is e-commerce. So we look at that problem and we say, how can we give power back to the merchant? And the way we want to do that is by allowing the merchant to earn ownership in the rally network as they process more revenue. So that that's that's it in a gist. I don't know if we, where we want to go from there. If you have any, what questions you would have from there, I can I can go deeper. What can you explain on what the rally network is without giving away anything that's too early or or too secret sauce, so that people can understand like that ownership. The first thing, and I, this is blunt, this is raw feedback right now as we're talking, is the first thing that I hear to bring it down to an understanding that I have is like with NFTs. If you sell an NFT, you can build into a smart contract. I will always get 10% of this NFT forever 
as it's being sold and traded throughout the web. Is this something, a little nugget of that that's happening in, in the Rally Network or something completely different? So, so an NFT, right? The, the the first word in an acronym is non non fungible, right? So it's unique, and because it's unique, you you can you can plug in, you can program in some royalty mechanism that says when this unique asset gets sold, I want ten percent of that sales price to go back to a specific wallet or owner. We we where we'll end up going is a fungible token, which is like. It, interchangeable. So one Ethereum is worth one Ethereum and you can have one or the other, just like a US dollar. If I have a dollar bill, it's the same thing as another dollar bill and it's uh, swappable. It, it, it means the same thing everywhere. They're not individual unique dollar bills. They are, but they're not treated that way. That, that's yeah. not where they get their functionality. So the, the, way, the way we look at it is the, the checkout is the part of the stack that matters the most when it comes to the freedom of the merchant. So what we want to do, if you go to our site, what you see that first graphic, you'll see a bunch of logos. And, and really what that's trying to convey is we'll work with everybody. We'll, we What we want is to get to a point where the merchant controls their fate of their own business, that they're not told what they can and can't do with their business. And when you detach the checkout from the platform that's when you get that freedom. So if you if you think about a situation, uh, a platform like Shopify, the reason they can tell merchants what they can and can't do, the most important part of that is because they own the checkout and they own where the transactions go through. So if you want to transact, if you want to use Shopify at all, you have to use their checkout. You have to process payments through them. And that gives them a lot of power and a lot of control. And they use that accordingly. They say, if you use Shopify payments, our preferred payment processor, then we'll give you ShopPay, this great buying experience feature. And you can use our partners at PayPal, but you can't use Braintree because we don't have an agreement with them. So there's all these different things that help control the merchant to the advantage of the business model of the platform. What we want to do is we want to just detach all of that. And the key, in our opinion, is to detach the checkout from the platform. Once you detach the checkout, then the merchant can do whatever they want on the front end. And that's what our product does. It kind of sits in the middle of the front end and the back end. It almost acts like a Zapier. So you just choose whichever front end you want, Builder IO, Shogun, View Storefront, Next.js, Gatsby, whatever. And then you connect it to our checkout, you authenticate, and then you're done. And then on the back end, you can choose where you want to go. You want to go traditional like big commerce or Salesforce, or you want to go somewhere new and headless like commerce layer or swell or commerce tools or something else. And as long as you're transacting through our checkout, you can kind of do whatever you want on the front end and the back end. And so in theory, what that does is it puts us in the same place as Shopify. It all of a sudden lets us control. And now we have the power and we can start to dictate. So we almost need to disrupt ourselves to make our like vision come true. And the way to do that is instead of taking the value that flows through the checkout and basically bringing it internally into our shareholders, we take that value that goes through the checkout and the revenue generated by those payments and we put it into a token and we distribute those tokens to the merchants that are actually processing the revenue. So it's, it's that piece of the stack, the checkout, that's the key to the whole thing. It, to bring power back to the merchants. Can somebody come to this, to come to Rally and connect a, a Stripe or a, a Braintree or a PayPal or you're the merchant of record? No, they can bring, no, they bring their own relationship. So we work with Stripe and Braintree, PayPal and Square and a bunch of others. And 
because we own the merchant relationship, that is extremely valuable these days online. Because if you think about the shopping experience and you think about putting your credit card into a field, anything that happens below that field, all that plumbing is effectively commoditized. You don't really care if it's getting routed to Stripe or Braintree. As long as your credit card is accepted and you buy the product, you, you, you don't care, right? So it's like the definition of a commodity. It doesn't matter who it is as long as it's processed properly. And so because of that and because of where we sit on the actual pages of the web with the merchant relationship, those payment processors incentivize us. So we get a revenue share from those payment processors. So that's part of the revenue that's generated when a payment goes through our checkout. So the merchant comes to us with their existing payment processing relationship, or we can we can introduce them. But um, yeah, we are not the merchant of record. We are like this transaction layer that helps connect very easily. Right now, a lot of people assume if you want to go headless in e-commerce, it's going to be this huge $250,000 project and really difficult and you need an engineering team. And we just don't think that's true at all. That, that's going to end in the next six to 12 months. And we're going to play a part in that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Do you look at this as maybe going in the direction of like no code, low code and like hitching on to that excitement? Because there's a lot of excitement. I've had a lot of no code, low code people on the podcast lately. And I look at it as like, I can be pretty powerful. Like I can connect the stuff up, Zapier, Stripe and do all that stuff. Or is it still a, a, still a notch up from a technical hurdle that you have to to know to get something like Rally integrated? There's very little technical hurdle. So it is it is very much in the no code, low code camp. And that is out of necessity. Well, we are not obsessed with the tech. We are obsessed with the merchant. And the merchants aren't actually that technical. They just want to be able to do things, right? The, the saying that we have internally is the, the product that wins is the product that allows non-technical people to achieve amazing things technically. And that, that's always the point of view when it comes to e-commerce because the merchants, you don't want to force them to be technical, especially if you're talking to the marketing teams. So our approach is uh, very, very low code. Even right now, we're just launching with our first customers and it's just like a 10 minute call that we just throw a little piece of code on the front end. And even that will be automated soon. Yeah. So a merchant using WooCommerce can do one of two things with our product. They can replace their WooCommerce checkout and have a WooCommerce front end with a Rally checkout and a WooCommerce back end, or they can build the front end however they want on a Gatsby or Next.js if they do want to do the development themselves, and then they can connect to our Rally checkout, and then that will connect to the WooCommerce back end. So it it makes going headless much, much easier because you don't have to deal with any of the interactions with the back end. You just throw a cart object over to our checkout. And then we do everything on the back end from there. I'm just scrolling down the page because it tells a great story. <laughs> and I've heard you say that, hey, we, we're redesigning a site or, or whatever. Like, I think it looks pretty cool, actually, your homepage. And I think everything came out together pretty good. What other features happen around the checkout page that folks might not be aware of or that you might be leading to in the future? Everything like this freedom, this owning the relationship, I still do want to go back to that token value thing. So don't yeah. forget about it. But yeah. what features do you plan on launching, if any at all, around the checkout experience to add more value to this, to the customer? Yeah. And that that's the right place to talk. It's probably the right place for us to, to start, but we jumped into the kind of like interesting, exciting part of the, the, the token piece, but we, we don't get anywhere on the token model and the network or any of that 
unless we give merchants a great checkout that improves their business, gives them ROI, makes them more money, gives them better return on ad spend and all of those things. So the, the way we look at it is the product earns us the ability to make like this larger vision come true around decentralizing the power in e-commerce and giving it back to the merchants. So when it comes to the checkout, we have two really important like pillar features or feature sets. The first one is a rally pay network. And what that means is when a shopper goes through one of our checkouts, let's say you're a WooCommerce store, you set up rally, you process with Stripe, a shopper goes through the checkout, puts in their credit card information, hits buy. When they do that, they are effectively, as long as they're agreeing, they're effectively creating a rally pay wallet. They don't need a username and password, but next time they come back to any other rally checkout, whether it's yours or on a Salesforce store that processes with Braintree, right? So this is cross-platform and cross-processor. When they come back to any rally checkout, they're recognized and then they don't have to enter any of their payment info again. So we have a, a secure vault that lives underneath all of this, underneath the merchant level. It's one layer below that. And what it ensures that once you go through the checkout once, every purchase moving forward on any rally checkout is just one click. And it works It works a lot like, like ShopPay, where if you go in, you put your email in, then you get an SMS to authenticate if you're not cookied. So it makes the purchasing process much, much easier and increases the conversion rate that way. And it does it throughout the network so that when a new merchant joins and they bring their shoppers, it's better for everyone. That's fantastic. When people have a big rally no pun intended, a big rally cry to shop uh, local. That's an amazing incentive. If you if you could get all of the local store owners together to say, hey, look, let's all get together and come up with this benefit to local shoppers, one of them being super fast checkout, but two could be something like this, like the token that you hinted at. Am, am I hearing that right? Where, hey, the more merchants that are processing payments, the more value a token might gain, which also would, if the if the merchant was like, yeah, I think I'm done with Rally, and they want to move on, they might second guess it because like, oh, I've got this valuable valuable token here, and the more I can stay committed to the, to them and to the rest of the network, the more value this this brings. Is that is that fair or? Yeah, that's that's part of it. We haven't touched on the shopper side of of like token value, but yeah, that's part of the same vision on how do you generate network effects around the token? How do you make it more valuable as more people come on board, as more shoppers go through the checkout and are saved, as more merchants use the checkout, and as more payments get processed? Yes. So a token for both the, the customer and the merchant? Yes, it's the same token. Oh, yep. got it. All part of this all part of the same network. Yep. So that's that's the first feature, the ability to recognize and provide one-click checkouts throughout the network. So that's one. And the, the other one is something that we pioneered at Cardhook that was really the reason we became so popular. And that's something called post-purchase offers. So what we do there is when a shopper goes through the checkout, we allow the merchant to insert offers in between the checkout and the thank you page. So if you think about Amazon's you may also like feature, right? What that's trying to do is when you're buying a coffee maker, Amazon says, hey, you may also like these coffee filters that work with that model of coffee maker. 
What they're doing there is they're making that offer pre-purchase before you've gone to the checkout. Maybe you're at the product level or at the cart level, and they're making a recommendation and hoping that you add it to the cart and then buy them together. That is good, but it is not ideal because it adds friction. It adds a buying decision. Do I want to buy these filters? Do I want to go read the reviews? Should I do that now? Should I do it later? And Amazon in particular is not that concerned. They are 100% sure you're coming back. But if you're a direct-to-consumer brand that just spent $11 on a click, you want to be pretty careful with that purchase. And so what we did is we took that offer and put it behind the checkout page. And what that does is it allows the shopper to go through the purchase without any friction. And then after they've made the checkout completion, then they see the offer. So you go to the checkout, you buy the coffee maker, and then before, instead of seeing a thank you page directly after, you're seeing an offer page with the coffee filters on it. That makes sense. The reason that works is two reasons. First, we're reusing the payment token on the checkout page. So that way it's the same payment token, which also means all of those additional purchases are one click. It just gets added to the same order. So it's really easy to buy, especially on mobile. The second reason it works is because you, the merchant, get to decide the criteria under which certain offers are shown. So you can make sure that those offers are extremely congruent. So I'll give you an example. One of our customers at Kartik was Native Deodorant. So when Native came on as a customer, the first thing they did was revenue optimization, right? Meaning they tried to use this post-purchase offer as a way to make additional revenue which is like the default way. That's what people normally think of it as. So whatever deodorant you bought, let's say you bought the men's eucalyptus deodorant, after the checkout, the post-purchase offer that you would see is the travel size version of the men's eucalyptus deodorant. And that thing had like a 40% conversion rate because it's a, it's a great offer. Everyone wants right. a little, little tiny travel version and it's the same flavor. So they know that's the flavor you're looking or scent or whatever you want to call it. So that worked extremely well. Then they started to experiment with something else. So native, I, 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 I couldn't even help it. I called it native deodorant. It's, it's called native, but everyone knows it for its deodorant because that's what they came out with first. So now native becomes a real brand. Procter & Gamble acquires it. And of course, they're going to build on the brand. So one of the first things they do is launch toothpaste. But how do you introduce toothpaste to an audience of customers that thinks you're a deodorant company and what they did was they made a free offer of the tooth in the post-purchase. So everyone would come and buy deodorant. And then the next page they would see is add this toothpaste for free to your order. So of course, everyone said, yes, it's free. Now, all of a sudden, they've used the post-purchase offer as a way to introduce a new product line. So the way we look at it is we have expanded the optimization canvas for the marketing team. Instead of that optimization effort ending at the cart, We've just extended it all the way through the thank you page. And when once a marketer gets their hands on that, they don't want to give it up because it's this new avenue for experimentation. So it's those two big things that we want to offer the merchant. One, the rally pay network that increases conversions. And two, the post-purchase offers that increase average order value. And when merchants want those two and come on board, then that can kind of make all these other dreams come true around bringing power back to the merchants and building network effects around the token and getting people away from platforms and kind of on, on their own.
Yeah, that's awesome. So many questions. First, I I, I don't want to turn this into like a, a D to C podcast, but man, there's so much. I, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. There's so many lessons. As much as I can't stand another four-way stretchy short ad on my Instagram <laughs> reel, like yep. there's so much to to learn from a DDC brand that, launch, like you said, you launch with just a deodorant and then you get acquired and you just start expanding. So many software builders out there, so many, especially in the WordPress space, trying to do way too much all at once, throwing all these features at people. And I'm like, nah, just focus on one thing, get really good at it, and then expand the product suite because you're just doing too much. God, it's such a great lesson. Every time I hear a little lesson like that. That's the default recommendation for new brands coming out. Just really nail one thing that's needed in the market and that builds you an audience and that gets people to love your brand and what you do and trust you. And then you have the capital with your audience to to expand. How do you feel about being on the cutting edge of e-commerce where you have to front load your solution with a lot of education, maybe not a lot, but you have to educate the potential new customer for of yours to understand the technology, understand the value play, to peel them away from a long-standing solution that they've used. I, I think it's a it's a double-edged sword. It is on one hand, it makes everything more difficult. It, it is genuinely easier to sell something into the market that there is existing demand and pain and a a known set of competitors. And there's a lot of volume looking for solutions. It it is genuinely easier. On the other hand, the, the upside of going somewhere new is that if you win, you can win a very large portion of the market. And if you're right that that's where the market's going, you can position yourself as the leader in a market that's growing. And then as the market grows, if you're the leader, you will gain an outsized portion of that market, even if you just do a decent job. And right. we've we've kind of seen that in a lot of different spaces. So there's something to the Cardhook experience that gives us this confidence. And, and we have a similar problem. Our problem is like awareness. Right now, an e-commerce merchant regardless of which platform they're on, whether it's WooCommerce, BigCommerce, or anything else, their assumption is that they have to accept the checkout provided to them by the platform. Or people don't think, I'm going to go on to WooCommerce, but I'm not going to use WooCommerce's checkout. Like th- those two don't really go together. And that's the assumption that we challenge. And we successfully challenged it in inhospitable territory in Shopify. <laughs> so so we, we have some confidence around the fact that, no, we, we can do this. And we like to hold on and, and be buoyed by these individual conversations. Because mm-hmm. when you get someone on a demo and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you built this. So that, that's like, okay, we're on the right track. We just need to keep going. We need more people to be aware of it. And I think that's that the combination of a really big mountain to climb in terms of awareness, but also this like fire around, we are definitely onto something. We just need to keep going. The combination of those two is what pushed me to just, just raise VC right away. Whereas in the past I I haven't because I really just wanted the firepower to just make people aware because I had the confidence that when they were aware, the value was going to come back to us. The introduction of professional services. I think I remember you at some point in Carthook's life where you were like, 
in order to get these bigger customers, we just need to we need to either have like a professional services level or yep. just like this white glove approach. Is that something that's going to carry over to this too? Because of the new sort of technology air quotes and, and you want to make sure that they're onboarded correctly, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this this is a really big challenge. At Cardhook, we faced we faced a really tough challenge where we had we had a good problem. We had a lot of demand. And I remember at some point we had somewhere in the area of 400 free trials a month for a $300 a month product. So that is a 120K in potential MRR signing up every month. Yeah. In theory, the greatest thing ever, and I should yeah. be like doing bath with it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in reality, I was so stressed. Oh my God, because, because we had a product that was tricky to onboard, partly our fault as the product, and partly because of this strained relationship with Shopify that there was no help. There was no help, and their platform didn't really want us to accomplish what we were trying to accomplish. So there were a lot of challenges. We had no choice but to face that head on and cut off free trials completely. So that dream level of free trials, we just cut it off and went to zero and forced demos and then handpicked 20 to 30 customers a month to onboard. And people were so mad at us. They were so mad because they saw it as like this, like, I don't even know. Yes. Yes. That we were like snobby, almost like someone called us choosy little bastards. (laughs) (laughs) And of course we put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Yes. But it wasn't, it was that a necessity. It's because we had too many people in the system and couldn't satisfy them. And then too many were churning and too many were unhappy. And the worst part of all was that the best merchants, the ones that fit us, didn't get the love that they needed. So we did end up going toward this much more handheld onboarding approach. With Rally, we we hesitate, we hesitate to really decide one way or another because you kind of need to see how your product gets used, right? And, and, and how it fits in. And we we think we know what's going to happen, but we shouldn't just take our experience at Cardo and copy and paste it. We should be pretty open-minded. Yeah. The way I look I I am very happy that Superhuman, the email product, exists because the way they've done things in theory shouldn't work, according to what everyone says. You can onboard people one by one and build a big product. They're trying to take on Gmail and get millions of users, and they're, they're onboarding one by one. So we look at that, and we think maybe that type of a hybrid approach, because the checkouts... You, you can't mess with someone's checkout. <laughs> right. It's it's not a product. Oh, it doesn't work. I'm frustrated. Let me go to support. If you launch it and it doesn't work, you just cost them money, and then you just ruined your reputation and your trust with them. Yeah. So you do have to be careful. So we we have to come up with our version of a hybrid approach at, at Rally. I, I can definitely see that being something that, especially as you bring on the bigger fish early on, I definitely need to do something like that. Let's let's wrap it up with the value of of Rally WooCommerce. Because I know, well, look, obviously WooCommerce is massive. There's a lot of folks listening to this who have built WooCommerce stores for for customers that scaled way too fast (laughs) and then realize, oh shit, we can't optimize WooCommerce fast enough at a lower cost or or what have you. And then they end up telling the customer, we got to go somewhere else. We got to move this store and bring it somewhere else. And the beauty for you is if you're using WooCommerce and Rally as a checkout experience, even if you move somewhere else from WooCommerce, we want you to stay in WooCommerce, but if you move, you can still use the Rally checkout system. Hook that baby up to another e-commerce platform 
and you don't have to disrupt the most money-making part of your store, which is the checkout system. Yeah, you, you can even keep your front end the same too. But like our demo store that's launching later in the week, should be out by the time this gets published, yep. is a Gatsby front end with a rally checkout and a swell back end. Got it. And you could we could just swap out the front end anytime. We could swap out the back end. Maybe the back end takes a little bit more work because you got to move things over. The reason we are so excited to launch into WooCommerce and two things I have to kind of self-servingly say. One, we're looking for early access merchants. So we're in early access period for now for the next few months to make sure everything is the way we want it to before we launch more publicly. So if anyone out there has a WooCommerce site or clients that might be interested, get in touch. The second thing is that we're also looking for a developer to join our team full-time that's focused on WooCommerce to be able to service those merchants and help get them onboarded and develop features and so on. So th those, those two things. The reason we're so excited about it is because we feel like the DNA of the merchants, the agencies, the people who live in WooCommerce matches up really well with ours, right? People go to WooCommerce for various different reasons, but I think the overarching reason is they want the freedom to be able to do what they want to do, whether it's host, whether it's pay what they want, whether it's accomplish what they want, whether it's to sell the products they want, they're looking for that freedom. And that's like, that's like our whole mission is to give merchants the freedom to do whatever the hell they want with their business. So we think it's going to be a great match. What is the best fit right now for, for you, for your cut? If somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, yep, I want to do it. I know there's a bunch of people in the audience listening to it. I've got a dozen products in my WooCommerce store. Or is the best fit, like, I've got hundreds of SKUs, uh, $100,000 a month in, re in, in revenue. Is there a perfect target fit for your platform? Yeah, if, if I'm, like, explicit about it, an ideal fit, uh, for us right now, I think we will make our way up market over time. Right now, that one to 10 million in annual revenue, it doesn't matter nearly as much on the number of SKUs. What really, really matters, where we really match up, are brands that are ambitious for growth. If you want something new in your arsenal to experiment with, then we are something unique for you to experiment with. And we're pretty confident that once you get on board and use it, you will not want to not use it because it's it's a powerful tool. Out of that two and a half billion that we processed at Cardhook, 300 million came from post-purchase revenue. Wow. So it is a 12% increase in revenue in the aggregate. So it is not a small thing. And once a marketer gets their hands on that, it's something they don't want to let go of because it's very useful. It starts to change their whole strategy and return on ad spend and their ROI. And, and, and everything. So it becomes integral to their business. Um, so not overly complex, <laughs> one to 10 million annual revenue businesses. We will get to complexity as we go. We will get to larger merchants. We've done merchants that do $500 million a, a year. So we're used to scale, uh, but we just want great relationships with our early customers that so we can help them and they can give us the feedback. If you didn't get enough out of this interview, go over to rallyon.com slash blog. Click on the status quo in e-commerce is broken. It's a fantastic, passionate piece <laughs> by Jordan. And Jordan, thanks so much for listening. As always, I'll, I'll be listening to your podcast as your biggest fan going, yes, get them as I'm just trying to hold my coffee and drive at the same time. And I was like trying to clip that from the podcast. I'm like, this man, I love it. I love the passion. I love the energy rallyon.com. Where else do you want folks to go to find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Jordan Gall and rallyon.com is the, the site. And it's just Jordan at the, the domain to get in touch. I like to hear 
from True Believers. So if you hear this and it clicks... We're going to save a, a, a private discussion of, about bonobos when I hit end here, because I, I don't want to ruin any of your chances, but I've got some things to say about bonobos. All right, everybody, Maripoor.com, Maripoor.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list if you want your weekly dose of five-minute WordPress news, the WPMinute.com. You can join, support the news, get involved in the news every week, $79 or the year. Check it out, the WPMinute.com.